Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for Sunday mornings, for teaching us, God, to be committed to them. Not so much committed to a day, but actually committed to the risen Lord Jesus who rose on the first day of the week. And that people who believe in him would meet together on the first day of the week to worship him. God, thank you for teaching us that. We're happy to be here. Hard to get here, maybe so. A lot of other things that we could be doing, need to be doing. But Father, we are hungry, starving, if you will, for the Word of God. We thank you, God, that last week as we're walking through Mark chapter 2, we saw Jesus teaching on fasting and that we must have a hunger for you. We must know our need for you, that you are our supply and our sustenance, and apart from you, we can do nothing, regardless of how much protein we have. So, Father, today as we move through the Gospel of Mark to chapter 2 and into chapter 3, we pray that the same would be happening, that you would increase our understanding and our faith, that we would live faithful to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, turn the Bible to Mark chapter 2, page 921. If you uh, didn't bring a Bible and you want to use a pew Bible, page 921, in that black pew Bible there, Mark chapter 2. Today, we're going to cover two passages, the final passage in chapter 2 and the first passage in chapter 3. We're going to go from 2.23 all the way through 3.6. The reason why we're doing that is because both are dealing with the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is a word that we don't use much anymore. We should or we can, but we just don't hear it that much. And the Sabbath, it, it brings, brings to us this idea of rest. And I know that you don't want to hear me preach on rest, but God, again, brings up the subjects and not me. Y'all didn't want to hear me preach on eating last week. And now we're going to preach on rest. And I don't know what's left in the Gospel of Mark, but whatever comes up is what we're going to preach on. We are committed to the Word of God as we should be. Now, I wanted to ask, have you ever been in a position where you find yourself going, I am so tired. And yet I almost laughed at asking that question. And I thought I should ask, have you ever been in a position where you weren't thinking, Man, I am so tired. Are you ever not tired, right? Do you ever wake up saying, I'm ready, let's do this? Have you ever said, no coffee today, I'm all good, right? We tend to be tired. Now, I'm not a doctor, and I'm not the one to diagnose why we are so tired, but maybe you're doing too much. Maybe you're lazy and you don't know what produces energy. Maybe you're irresponsible with your time management. <clears throat> Maybe you aren't physically tired, you're just emotionally tired, and that's wearing you out. That's very real. Maybe you've never thought about it being worship to God that you rest. And maybe you've never thought about that it is, listen to me, 
sinful that you're not resting. Two things that I want us to cover today is that it is worship to God that you rest. And it is sinful against God if you're not resting. It used to be that every time you ask somebody how they're doing, regardless of how they were doing, they'd say, I'm good, right? How you doing today? Good. And they walk away saying, I'm horrible, right? Life's falling apart. It used to be that everybody just said, good, I'm fine, right? I'm fine. But now, it's kind of twisted a little bit. Now everybody says, oh, busy, man. Got a lot going on. Everybody you talk to, how you doing, man? It's just so busy. Got a lot going on. Well, what'd you do today? I just slept in and hung out and walked and uh, worked a little bit, you know. That's how people are. Well, how busy are you? What you got going on? Oh, man, we had a ball game yesterday. People want excuses and say how busy they are. And we, we have kind of gotten to where we think that being busy is a badge of honor. Like, I'm, I'm special. I'm doing a lot. I've got so much going on because I'm so needed and, and so important that now I'm tired because I'm busy. I, I want us to, to know and admit here as Christians, as church people, listen, we don't see busyness as a badge of honor. We don't even see busy as, a, as an overwhelmingly good thing. It's a good thing you've got a lot to do and a lot of responsibility and a lot to take care of. That is good. But let's not think that being busy and telling people that is admirable. Let's be people who believe the Bible and say, I need to rest. I'm saying no to you and what you're asking me to do, and I'm taking eight hours of sleep tonight so that tomorrow I'll be able to tackle another day. Well, this is all that's going to come about in our sermon today on the Sabbath. That we need to be people who understand rest as worship to God and not resting as sinful against God. And there are three words that I want you to leave here with today. Number one, rest, obviously. Number two, rules, because it's built, this whole conversation is built around uh, the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So, number one, rest. Number two, rules. And number three, wretchedness. Number three, wretchedness, because you will see how utterly wicked and wrong we can be and twist something like, hey, you need to rest, into you're a sinner because you didn't. Okay? Now, rest, rules, and wretchedness. Read with me in Mark chapter 2. And we're going to go from 23 all the way to 3.6. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. That's Jesus. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him. Now, he entered the house of God in, in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was not made for man, this, or the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to harm, to save life or to kill? 
but they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately, held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Rest, rules, and wretchedness. Number one, rest because the whole idea and topic here, the, 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 the subject is the Sabbath. Verse 23, one Sabbath. Chapter 3, verse 2, to see whether he would heal them on the Sabbath. That's the thing. The Sabbath here is what is causing both of these situations, both of these settings, to, to hinge on whether somebody's right or wrong. It is the idea of the rest. Now, Sabbath is the last day of the week. It's not Sunday, it is Saturday. And they were to uh, work for six days of the week and rest on the last day of the week. Now, we've even changed it now. We're more tired, but we only work five days a week. You get two days of a weekend, right? You get Saturday and Sunday off. They were to work six days and rest one. We, here in USA, we call it Monday through Friday the work week, and Saturday and Sunday is the weekend, right? That's not the way it was there. And the Sabbath was this final day of the week in which they were to be resting. And that's the subject. Now, I want to build for you what all of this Sabbath understanding comes from. You may know this, but I want to make absolutely clear that you do. So I want to ask you to turn with me to the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 20. If you've never been there before, then please turn. Exodus chapter 20. The issue here with the rest is, are they breaking the rule on the Sabbath day? In other words, are they not resting? That's what the opponents of Jesus are thinking and accusing them of and watching. This is what they're um, um, confused about. This is what they're frustrated about. This is what they're upset about. Now, Exodus chapter 20, if you didn't know, is where God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. If you've ever wondered where are the Ten Commandments in the Bible, it is right here at Exodus chapter 20. But I want you to look at verse 8. This is the beginning of the fourth commandment. The fourth commandment, which commands us to rest, is the longest commandment of all. There are Ten Commandments. Some of them are very short. But the fourth commandment, the one on the Sabbath for resting, is the longest of all. It doesn't necessarily mean that God said the most about resting, but it does say that it is the longest when he was explaining the need to rest. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Does everybody see that? If you do all your work in the six days, then you take the seventh day to not do your work. You take the seventh day to rest. If you're lazy, if you procrastinate, if you make excuses, if your priorities aren't in order, you don't get all your work done on six days, then guess what you have to do on the seventh day? Rest. And instead of saying, I was lazy, I procrastinated, I'm sinning, you say, I just got a lot going on, man. I'm busy. I'm sorry. God says otherwise. Be focused. Understand that this is a worship idea. Okay? Resting is worship. Not resting is sinful. Get it done in six days. Find time to rest. He says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Verse 10. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it 
you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Verse 11, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That right there, verses 8 through 11, is the fourth commandment of God's Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. God intends for us to be a working people. This is not a sermon on work, but the Bible says a whole lot about how Christians are to be hardworking people. We are to sweat. We are to use our muscles. We are to use our skills and our intellect and work hard. Okay? We are to be a people who have a good work ethic. Ethic is a religious term. The idea of a work ethic is a spiritual idea. Okay? But this isn't a sermon on work, but it is the idea that we rest after we work. And you see in the 10th commandment here, it is a law of God. Now, it's a little bit different in its command, right? Commandment number one is, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Only one God. You worship him alone. Commandment number two, don't ever make anything that you say represents God and then worship it. No idols, no graven images. Don't you make a stone and worship it. Don't you make a golden calf and worship it. Don't you make a tree and worship it. Don't you take something else and call that your God and worship it. This is idolatry. This is horrible. There is but one true and living God. He's seated on his throne in heaven, and he and he alone do we worship. The third commandment. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. God is a holy God. and His name is to be revered. We're not to say things about God that are not spoken with the absolute seriousness of heart, respect to him, reverence that he is our Father in heaven, understanding that he is our maker. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Then you get to number four, that's the Sabbath. Then you get to number five, and it's a little bit different, honor your father and mother. Number six, do not murder. Number seven, do not commit adultery. I think sometimes we forget that that's a commandment. Number eight, do not steal. Number nine, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. In other words, do not lie. Number ten, do not covet. Do not covet. So you see that the commandments are often direct statements don't do this. Don't. It is good managing. It is good coaching. It is good parenting. And it is right of God to tell his people and his children there are some things you do not do. We need to hear that the word of God says that at times. But on our fourth commandment, which is today, it's shaped differently. It is remember, remember that there is a time to rest. Remember that there's a time to rest. We are to be people who understand the need to rest. Those who follow God and His Word see it as a worship and therefore understand they must rest. 
If you are here today and all you do is run around like a chicken with its head cut off or run around frustrated, you're in a bad mood with most of the people you talk to because you're always running behind, you're having to always twist your story and to make you look a little bit better because you're always trying to make an excuse and defend yourself, then you need to admit here today that you are sinning against God by not resting. Make some priorities. It would be beautiful for you to say, I can't do that. You have anything going on tomorrow night? No, and I'm keeping it that way. I'm going to be in bed by such and such time. I'm going to sleep my six, seven, eight hours because Monday awaits. And on Monday, I've got to be the man of God that I need to be. On Monday, I've got to be the woman of God I need to be. Yesterday, I was walking through the parking lot at the ball field. I hesitated to say this, but I wanted to tell you. Not yesterday, Friday night, walking through the parking lot at the ball field. I saw a little boy running the wrong way, and I saw a parent turn around to their kid and say, Get your effing A over here right now. I was right there. And at first I thought, how horrible. But then I thought, he or she, I don't even want y'all to know if it was a man or a woman, he or she is probably so worn out. There's only one parent there trying to take care of all those kids. Probably so frustrated. They're probably having such a hard time with it. And I started wondering in preparation for this, I wonder how much sleep they get. I wonder how much rest they get. I bet they're probably a pretty good parent if they were fueled up with rest and strength and energy. But you and I know we get quick-tempered, we get grumpy, we need a Snickers when we haven't slept. We need to rest. I get so upset with me when I'm snappy or short or angry with my kids and it's not as much their fault as it is mine. We need to rest. God, when he was creating the world, says I'm going to give y'all ten rules, right? Now you go up here to the Fairdale Pool, they got more than ten. Most people have lots of rules. God gives us ten, and in his ten, one is remember to rest. It is that important. Your heart is to be content in God. You're treating people, all people, mean people, rude people, your enemies, is to be met by the command of God with and only with love. Have you heard or read the word of God? Love your neighbors as yourself. Love your enemies. Love your family. Love your parents. Love your children. Love your wives. Love, 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 love. And it doesn't work for a second that you make excuses on why you don't love them because of them. God says regardless of how they are, you are to love them. And perhaps the reason why we struggle with it so much is because we have not rested. We are not ready for it.
And while the Ten Commandments here in Exodus 20 show us this, I want to dig even deeper for you all and ask you to turn to the first page of the Bible, Genesis 1. The first page of the Bible, Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, the Bible begins, I don't even know if you've read this before, the Bible begins with God creating the world. All of chapter 1 is God creating everything that he created in six days. God spent six days creating the world. If you'll turn to chapter 2, I want to begin reading there in the first three verses. It says, chapter 2, verse 1. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished. Do you remember in Exodus 20 when God says, do all your work in six days? Like, finish it? So that on the seventh day you can rest? Well, here in verse 1 it says of chapter 2, he was finished, and all the host of them. Verse 2, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Verse 3, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. It is the example of God Almighty who you know does not need to rest. The Bible tells us that God never gets tired. God is not like us in the sense that he can give out. Yet, for whatever reason, and for some reason to teach us and to show us and to explain the Ten Commandments and to explain the New Testament understanding on Sabbath and rest, God tells us that even he rested. He showed us that there is a time to work and give it your all, and there is a time to say, I'm going to rest. Think about it. If you never rest this week, then next week you're going to be worse. And if you never rest that week, then just three weeks in, you're going to be pathetic. And if you don't rest that week, on the fourth week, whatever's worse than pathetic, you're going to be. And most of us are living continually without rest. And so no wonder, as a witness to faithful, humble, loving, serving people who reflect God, we are often pathetic. I have seen Christians yelling at bank tellers because they're a little bit slow during lunch hour, right? I've seen Christians honking the horn and screaming out the window because you can't just roll through this stop sign that nobody stops at here in Fairdale. We're frustrated with life, and I'm asking, could it be because we're not resting? Well, in Mark chapter 2, let's turn back there. The issue here is not whether they're rested or not. The issue here is that the Pharisees, these are the leaders of the Jews, the Pharisees, the leaders of the Jews, have taken God's rules and built more rules. That's what the Pharisees did. As if God has not given us enough law, they took it and made more. They, they really did make rules to go around the rules. That's our subject. So it comes with the idea of resting because it's Sabbath talk. J.C. Ryle, one of my favorites, says, 
the Sabbath was made for man. God made it for Adam in paradise, renewed it to Israel on Mount Sinai. It was made for all mankind, not for the Jew only, but for the whole family of Adam. It was made for man's benefit and his happiness. It was for the good of his body. It was for the good of his mind. It was for the good of his soul. It was given to him as a boon and a blessing and not as a burden. This was the original institution of resting with the Sabbath as we see in Genesis 1 and 2, as we see again in Exodus chapter 20 in the Ten Commandments. But the Pharisees have now taken rest and turned it into rules. And they've built rules around rest. Hey, the concept of rest is pretty easy, and you know that, right? I remember being in, in high school and having some big, some big ball games coming up, and coach would always say, listen, don't go out and stay up too late and act like a fool. Go home, get a good, good, good meal to eat, and get some rest. Tomorrow's a big day, right? And every one of us makes, make, make good sense of that. How many times have you ever heard somebody starting a new job? Listen to me. How many times have you ever heard somebody starting a new job? And they're on top of it, buddy. They're, they're in bed by like 8 o'clock, right? They're in bed by 8 o'clock. Man, they had a big old deal. They're ready. 8 o'clock, they wake up extra early. They get to work extra early. Make sure that first day goes well. But what about once they're a year in, right? They've quit that already. They've quit that already. They stay up too late. They wake up too late. They arrive to work too late, and their work performance all day long is pathetic. And that, that's not God's way. The commandment is fairly simple. Remember to rest. And yet the Pharisees have now made rules around it. Let's see what they're saying. Jesus and his disciples are walking, to a grain, walking through a grain field on the Sabbath day, and they notice that as they're walking, they're, they're plucking uh, heads of grain, plucking them. Now, is that, a, is that a work? Is that tiring work? I, I don't think so. But what, what they had made a rule was plucking grain and then working it like this, is work and, and maybe it is maybe it isn't that's not God's law but they, they had made it that they had made that rule but they were taking walking on a path and just plucking one and said that they're breaking that 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 rule that they have made and saying that they're sinning and now they're worked up over it and they're challenging Jesus on it they said look why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath now notice God, God does not say to them to not do that now, God does say don't work on the Sabbath, but he didn't say that. I want to challenge you as a mother, because I know mothers have rules, or as a teacher or parent, or just as a churchgoer, as you are. Do you sometimes get the rules twisted? Are you sometimes a stickler for rules where you're missing the point of the rule? In sports, we kind of have this conversation about what's the intent of the rule. And people get hung up sometimes by trying to take the rule too far. And here, this is what the Pharisees are doing. These guys are just walking down a path, and they're grabbing some grain, and somebody's trying to call foul. You sinner, why are you working? To which, if they just said it out loud, then they, what do you mean working? I mean, that, that just pulled, it's hardly work, didn't stress me out, didn't sweat, didn't do anything. Why are you saying that? Like they're confused on it. And this is what people, religious people often do. They try to make rules. 
I've had people tell me before that this isn't the right Bible I should be using. I need a different translation, right? I've had people tell me before that I shouldn't be preaching because I'm wearing a short sleeve shirt today, right? People try to tell us all of these rules, and I'm like, well, show me where it's at in here. There's enough rules for us. And the people who try to change the rules are confusing. Listen to me. Those who follow God and his word understand the purpose of God's rules. You're not to be judgmental toward other people, especially if it's not about the right rules. There are things that are wrong and there are things that are not wrong. Don't get them twisted. These people got it way wrong. Jesus like he does time and time again, when he is accused of something, Jesus says, well, haven't you read what the Bible says about it? I love that. I want this to be the M.O. of our church truly. I want when somebody comes to you with gossip or slander or a lie, you think, why are you gossiping, slander, or lying? I don't want to hear it. Why are you bringing that here? I want when somebody tries to complain to you, say, have you heard Philippians 2.14 that says no more complaining? I want us to be people who think, what does the Bible say? 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 I want us to be people who are truly being fueled, and I use that word intentionally, fueled by what the Word of God says. We had a college student that just left a few minutes ago, all these people walking out. One of them was a college student that had to be somewhere at noon today, at noon. And they still came to get a little bit and still left. That's encouraging. It's very encouraging to the pastor. I even said to them, that fuels me. You're here hungry to get church and worship in the word of God. That fuels me. We are to be people who are fueled by the word of God. And Jesus, when they're accusing him, Jesus says, well, what does the word of God say? You never read that passage in the Old Testament, 1st, 2nd Samuel, where David is there and the, only the high priest is supposed to eat the bread, but he was hungry. They were on the run. They were trying to get away from King Saul. And he got his people and he said, hey, here's some bread. We're going to eat it. Don't you remember that? And it wasn't sinful for them to do that because the issue is working. They weren't breaking the law by working. They were doing what they needed to do. He sums that up in verse 27 by saying this, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The reason why God told us to rest is to help us in resting. He didn't tell us to rest so that we'd be all stressed out and burdened about, I I can't find a time to rest, I can't find a time to rest, and if I don't rest, I'm going to be stressed out. No, no. He's just saying you need to rest. Rest. Don't take yourself so seriously that you never rest. And then, as if they weren't going to get that because he didn't think that they would already, he caps it off with this statement that ought to shake you. Verse 28. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus has said many times that he has all authority in heaven on earth. And here, to these people who are raising a good question, if you will, based off of their rules about the Sabbath, Jesus just says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath doesn't tell God what to do. God tells the Sabbath what its purpose is. Jesus is God. He doesn't have to bow down to the Sabbath. He made the Sabbath. If there's anybody in the world that understands the laws that there are from God, which at times may be difficult for us, it is the God who spoke them. Jesus, he is Lord of the Sabbath. He will tell us when it is wrong. If you're walking through a grain field and you pick a head of grain, you're not breaking God's law by working. He's Lord of the Sabbath. 
This is a theme coming out in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus is wanting people to understand, that Mark is wanting people to understand that Jesus Christ our Lord is God. He is the one with authority. This is the fourth and fifth passage in a row where we see this sort of thing. You have a leper healed. You have a paralytic healed through the roof. You have Jesus calling Matthew, Levi, and he comes. You have the question about fasting. Then you have here the Lord of the Sabbath. That explained where he is Lord over the Sabbath. And then our very next passage at the beginning of chapter 3 is a man with a withered hand, a crippled man there in the Sabbath, and Jesus heals him. Mark is showing us in passage after passage after passage that this guy is God. He has all authority. And if you're here today, you have no other hope, no other comfort that you would submit to him. I did a funeral yesterday afternoon. And at the funeral I was telling them, that we're going to die, and we don't know when. I say it at every funeral. Death is certain, and death is uncertain. Everybody in this room will die, and we don't know when. So I ask the question, what comfort can you have that you're going to die? doesn't sound very comforting. Thanks for bringing it up. You're going to die, and you don't know when, but what comfort is there? Here's what I told them. That Jesus is in charge. Jesus is God. He will keep you forever. He is safe. And if your life is in his hands and you are trusting him for forgiveness, that is the comfort. You can lay in your casket and we can be comforted. You can lay in your casket and you can be in a good place because Jesus has all authority. These guys had taken the rules, and they had twisted it. Now, I want to teach you what God says about the rules. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 11, it is explaining the rules, the laws. It says, now, it is evident that no one, no one is made right before God by the rules. Okay? Obeying God's word is not enough to save you. It is not enough to get you to heaven. Don't tell me how good you or anybody else is as a person as if that will get you to heaven. I will admire that, I will honor that, and we will appreciate that, but not as a way to salvation, eternal life, or heaven. The Bible says very clearly it is evident no one is justified before God by the rules. J.C. Ryle says their godliness here, those questioning Jesus on the rest, theirs, listen to me, was made up of washings and fastings and peculiarities in how you dress and will worship. In other words, how much I'm bringing to worship with my hands raised and my visibility and people seeing me and how much I do and the attention that I'm getting. Listen, while repentance and faith and holiness were comparatively overlooked. They didn't think much about dealing with their sins and confessing their sins and acknowledging their sinful heart. They didn't deal much with how much they were trusting in Christ and need for Jesus and a life that follows. They had it twisted. And today, how often do we hear that somebody is a, is a good, faithful man because he's always at church or he carries his Bible or he taught Sunday school or he, he does this or he does that or he's always giving away money or he, he does this or that? Y'all, those are certainly characteristics of great, great people, but they are not characteristics necessarily in and of themselves of godliness. 
Who loves Jesus? Who is convicted of their sins? Who is bothered by their, by their, by their disobedience to God and therefore trusts in him? These are the ways of God. Show Baraka in 13 letters tells us, speaking about that, the law is a tutor. God's rules are a tutor that lead us to Christ. By faith we are justified. It is Jesus that gives us life. Not the rules. Not the rules. Proverbs chapter 3 says, My son, do not forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. There are rules that we are to have and rules that we are to understand from God. We are to be committed to those, but we are to understand that it is God's rules that we are to be focused on. And God's rules are good for us because they teach us that we have sinned against God. They teach us that we need to be forgiven of our sins. To think that church or religion or Christianity is just about us doing good and obeying is to miss the entire point of the rules. And Jesus makes this very clear by saying the Sabbath was, not, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He is Lord of the Sabbath. I want to ask you in your heart, do you say things like, well, I have to. I don't want to, but I have to go to church. I have to love my neighbor. I don't really want to. I can't stand him really, but I know God tells me to, so I'm going to. I have to try to stay in this marriage. I don't really want to, but I'm going to have to try to work it out. Joshua tell me I'm wrong if I try to break it up. That type of thing. Are the rules a burden to you? Or are the rules what you're seeing as what God has given you to guide you to living rightly for Him, yet also, bigger than that, driving you to Jesus? Every time a rule is hard, every time a rule is a struggle, every time a rule is a burden, do you find yourself saying, I need help. I need forgiveness. I need him to deal with me. I need Jesus. I can't do this on my own. That's what the rules are for. Not for goody-goodies to stand around and say, I saw you pluck that grain on that walk. They've misunderstood the rules. So those who follow God and his word understand the need for rest. It's worship to rest, it's sinful to not. Those who follow God and his word understand the purpose of God's rules. God's rules are good for us. They point us to Jesus. And lastly, our wretchedness. Those who follow God and his word are convicted of their sins, convicted of their wretchedness. And they trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of those sins and for salvation. They are the ones who can sing, in Christ alone, my hope is found. They know no other hope than Christ alone. Look at Mark chapter 3. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. You want to talk about wretchedness, this is wretchedness. Healing a crippled man with a withered hand would be such a good thing, be such a nice thing, be so kind of Jesus, so powerful and outstanding of Jesus. 
But those people who are standing over there in the synagogue, now, let me remind you, what are you supposed to be in the synagogue for anyway? Worshiping God. Not looking around, right? You're not looking around to see who's doing something wrong or, okay, who's wearing, well, I can't believe he's wearing that to church today. I can't believe they keep talking so much like that. You're not to be doing that. You come to church, get your eyes on Jesus, get your heart right. They're in the synagogue, and they're looking around at people, and now they see Jesus, they see a crippled man, they're like, watch this. You can almost picture, I wonder if somebody was teaching, and I wonder if that moment, if the teacher was frustrated because they were over there tapping each other, saying, watch this, I bet Jesus can go there and heal him. I hope he does heal him. I hope he does heal him because we're going to go bust him. He's breaking God's laws. I hope he does heal this man because we're going to get him there. We'll go tell the leaders we're going to bust him. We'll get him in trouble. Think about this. This is supposed to be worship to God. How far out there is it? Oh, the wretchedness. Keep going, though. He said to the man with the withered hand, come here. Jesus seemed to always know that they were watching him. And Jesus never seemed to, like, skate away from what they were wanting to do that was evil. Jesus walked right into their evil attempts. He knew that he was about to blow it up. He knew that they couldn't mess him up. They couldn't thwart his purposes. God had a plan and Jesus was living it out and evil wasn't about to get in the way. What they thought was the best thing in the world, Jesus dying on the cross, I think is the best thing in the world, Jesus dying on the cross. Verse three, he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, so now he knows, it doesn't even say that he knew, but now he knows and he turns to them. Can you imagine? Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent because they didn't know. They, they didn't even know. They didn't even know how to think about God's law. They didn't think about God's law as a, as, a, as a state of worship. They thought about God's law as a way to show how obedient they are. They never do anything wrong. Goody, 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 goody. That's how they thought about it. Verse 5, and he looked around at them with anger. Jesus was mad about their failing to understand. Grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. Folks, listen, that is awesome. That is God Almighty having mercy upon somebody and changing their life and healing them of whatever their problem was, a withered hand. God does that type of thing. Y'all, God's rules are not to cause all this mess that we have in the world. God's rules are good. God's ways are good. God's heart is good. His love is good. His lordship, his governing of our world is good. And anybody who wants to teach you that religion's messing it up they've got God misunderstood God does good to people the Bible says in our call to worship today Psalm 145 God is good to all and he's not quick to anger at us he is slow to anger at us and his mercy is upon us here he is doing good and you see listen to me the, the, the messed up wretched religious people are making a good situation horribly ugly now I realize that there may have been a bunch of people standing outside going well all of that religion stuff's a bunch of mess it's it's what it's the problem with our world today but you see here if you look at what God is actually doing and what he's saying is only good God is clarifying that even what they're understanding as a, as a rule can be broken if it's doing a good thing Verse 6, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. They're at church, if you will, not really church, but they're at church, if you will, worship in the synagogue, and Jesus heals somebody, and they run off saying, see, he did it, let's go kill him. The wretchedness, the wretchedness. Last night at a nightclub in Florida, doesn't appear to be any terrorist attack, just good old Americans letting loose over 50 dead in a nightclub in Florida last night. 
Not two or three, over 50. Y'all, our problem is, is us. Our problem is our wretchedness. Those who follow God and his word are convicted of their wretchedness and trust Jesus for forgiveness of sins and salvation. Verse 2 says that they see Jesus about to heal a man and they're watching so they might accuse him. Verse 6 says that they see Jesus heal a man and they're watching because they want to destroy him. They want to destroy him because he's doing good. And they want to call it bad. Psalm 14 tells us that there is no one who does good. Paul picks up Psalm 14 in Romans 3 and says, There is no one who does good. There is no one who seeks after God. They, no one does right. It says everyone does what is right in his own eyes. We have a Sunday school class right now teaching through the book of Judges. And the entire book of Judges is telling us what happens to people when everyone does what is right in his own eyes. God has given us rules so that we would understand that we don't understand what is right based off our own rules. We need somebody else to tell us what is right and then we need God's help through Christ to follow what is right. J.C. Ryle says it ought to be, listen to this, it ought to be a settled principle in our minds that a man's soul is in a bad state when he begins to regard man-made rites and ceremonies as things superior importance and exalts them above the preaching of the gospel. If life to you is about coming to church and being the best person that you are without a need for forgiveness of sins through Jesus, then you misunderstand God Almighty. And you misunderstand First Baptist Fairdale. It's our desire that the world would get to know God and his love and the forgiveness of sins that he offers through us. We're not here about who can behave better or who can do the most good and who, who never messes up and who we don't sin or whatever. No. We hold high the need for forgiveness. We hold high our wretchedness with humility and brokenness, wishing that it wasn't the case, but knowing that there's a God who saves us. The message of God is that even though we are sinners, Christ died for us. And if you're here today and you're all about keeping the rules, then maybe you don't need a Savior like the Pharisees thought. But if you're here today and you're realizing more and more that your wretchedness shines through day in and day out from your sinful heart, then perhaps you've come to just the right spot, just the right passage, and just the right Savior. Because Jesus died for our sins. And if anybody would cry out to him and say, God, I need forgiveness, he will. One of my favorite verses in the world, Romans 10, 11, whoever calls upon the Lord will not be disappointed. Will not be disappointed. Rest, rules, and wretchedness. May we trust in Christ, and may, we, may our lives worship him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that the gospel of Mark has taken us through some serious stuff here. God, I ask that you would forgive us for not resting. God, I pray that you would help us be aware of our wretchedness and our sinfulness and that we would trust in Jesus. God, lead us to respond now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.